The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Breaking up is hard to do, but when it comes to your wireless carrier, you should have left a while ago. You're over the big three carriers. You deserve better. Xfinity Mobile. Now you can get unlimited with 5G included for just $30 a month on the nation's fastest, most reliable network. So break free from the big three and save with Xfinity Mobile. Take the savings challenge at XfinityMobile.com slash MySavings to see how much you can save when you get Xfinity Mobile and Internet together. Reduced speeds at 20 gigabytes per line. Most reliable based on RootMetrics U.S. report. Results vary, not an endorsement. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only excludes Alaska and Hawaii. All right, it's Film Study with Ken McCusick once again. The football season's here, so we're going to take a look at the first game where the Ravens play the Buffalo Bills. Ken McCusick, how you doing? 
Life's good, Josh. How about you? I am doing well. I'm enjoying the uh, the little bit of long weekend with Labor Day. Our guest today is Drew Gear from the Rockpile Report, which is a Bills podcast. So you can check that out this week as you get ready for the Bills game. But he's going to help us kind of talk about the Bills and what the Ravens might be facing this week. So, Drew, how are you doing? I am fantastic. How are you guys doing? No complaints here, Drew. Real happy to have you on. I'm glad we can do this. This is going to be something recurring. We try and do from, uh, you know, occasionally at least during the season is have someone from opposing teams and happy to have you here for the Bills. I appreciate the invite. All right. Well, I, I think let's just start with an overall characterization of this Bills team as a whole as they enter this season. Obviously, they were a team that beat the freaking Ravens out of the last playoff spot last year, which I'm sure you're very happy about. And uh, we saw all the celebration and the uh, congratulatory effects you've given to uh, uh, Dalton since he's been back. But uh, what, how do you characterize this as a, as a team in general for Buffalo? Well, that's the funny thing about the Buffalo Bills. This team under Sean McDermott has been something of an enigma because every year they come in with low expectations. They're a team of you know, also Rams. You see a lot of t- players who are of dubious talent. You know, you have your national critics who say, hey, the Bills are the, most, the least talented roster in football. But they said the same thing as last year, and we found a way to squeak into the playoffs. So what they are is a group of underachievers that, based on just coaching and this sense of team really do seem to find their way to will out these close victories. And they kind of are going to live and die by that right now, because the talent from last year to this year hasn't really changed. The talent level is still pretty much the same. Okay. So quarterback, a big change, obviously from, from Tyrod, do you call him Tyrod or Tyrod there? In uh, we called him, we call him Tyrod because that's how it's spelled. I mean, I know it sounds like a part of a car, but I, I can't, I can't do anything about that. That's what it looks like on paper. There you go. He didn't so, correct us in all his years in Baltimore. I say it's on him. Thank you. So when you look at our quarterback situation, I genuinely believed that we were done. I, I was happy, content, you know, I, Tyrod wasn't a world beater, but at least we didn't have the eternal quarterback co- competition that was the Buffalo Bills for 17 straight years. Well, go, now it doesn't matter because now we have a new one. Now it's featuring a rookie who has a very high ceiling but a very low floor in terms of what he brings you in experience, in nuance, and we had an A.J. McCarron who could have come in and provided that veteran presence, but he found a way to he found a way to play well enough to be traded out of town. So now it's him and a fifth-round pick from last year's draft who has two games of experience and five interceptions under his belt already. Yes, he almost cost the Bills that playoff spot last year when they prematurely switched quarterbacks three-quarters of the way through the season, right? Oh, it was – that was – after it was part of a three-game skid, where we had gotten run all over by the Saints, and then the week before that we'd lost to the Jets on primetime. So when Peterman threw five interceptions, I laughed. I wasn't even mad because I'm like, "This is it. This we deserve this. <laughs> this is how our season should be going because we're the Buffalo Bills." <laughs> all right. Well. Uh... We can move on if you like. Uh, let's talk a little bit about well, the preseason. I'm sorry. Go ahead. 
Well, I was going to say, with the quarterback competition, I think the thing is, you're talking about, everyone looks at it and says there's two young guys, one of whom has never played NFL football, that everyone said was too raw coming out of college to really start. The other one is a guy who everyone knows through five interceptions, and that has become the stigma around him. For me personally, what I see is two guys where you have an offensive coordinator who's shown throughout the preseason that he can dial up a different game plan for either guy. So now it becomes, who is the team most comfortable with? There's a reason they allowed A.J. McCarron to leave, and now you're just left with these two green quarterbacks. I don't think the coaching staff would have done that if they didn't feel confident in their athletic abilities and the fact that they did have the more athletic upside. I mean, both of them can scramble. Both of them can move in the pocket. Both of them have a little bit of that youthful, I don't know if you want to call it energy. But that being said, Bills fans here in Buffalo, everyone's biting their fingernails (laughs) because the McCarran trade almost signals the fact that whoever starts, you're going to have to be nervous about it. Mm Mm-hmm. Hey, how's the Bills' offensive line looked and how these two quarterbacks looked under pressure so far? The Bills' offensive line has been a disaster, unmitigated disaster throughout the preseason. I mean, I don't think I'm mincing words here when I say that I I would take almost any other NFL franchise's offensive line situation above ours. You figure we came into this season, we knew we were losing Eric Wood. He had that neck injury that they had to announce early on that they were losing him. But we had a backup in Ryan Groy, who is okay, going so to be let's, our... Let's stop you for a second. Eric Wood, longtime center for the Bills, correct? Yes, longtime uh, center. Okay, so a lot, you're talking to Ravens fans, some on our show, and admittedly there'll be Bills fans, we hope, listening as well. But you know, give us a, the positions of these players, and, and then they'll, they'll know, particularly on the offense. Oh, okay. So center Eric Wood. Guy was a long time. I mean, when he was drafted in the first round, we knew he was going to be here for a while. Turns out he spent years here i want to say six seven eight nine years here is our starting center and then suddenly he's taken away from us they had announced that he had a neck injury at the end of the season it came out in his postseason physical and they said listen you shouldn't play football ever again so all of a sudden we lost our center right after signing him to a two-year deal mm-hmm. so now you go into the season saying okay we have one one hole to plug and we knew that our right guard spot was unsettled we had uh right guard vlad dukas who's kind of a journeyman x-raven and then we had a couple other just backup quality players behind him and john miller uh guard out of louisville who was drafted here never really found a home and a couple other players that we signed off the street well then richie incognito loses his mind (laughs) And all of a sudden, we lose a left guard who is of Pro Bowl caliber talent. He just isn't capable of maintaining his personal life. He is is now is is he anywhere right now? Has he been signed by anyone yet? Because he was a player that was talked about the Ravens signing and plugging him in at center, where the Ravens have a problem now. He Richie Incognito was arrested a few weeks ago for making threats with an armed weapon to people at a funeral home. Oh, great. So <laughs> he's not working. He's not working anywhere. But that Richie's departure created a gigantic problem because this was a team that thought, okay, we're losing. We need to upgrade one interior position and we're going to lose our pivot. All of a sudden, now you've lost the entire middle of your offensive line. And that's a big ask to replace in the middle of one offseason with starting caliber players. 
So the Bills' offensive line at this point is patchwork at best. And I'm really nervous to see what it turns into, especially against a team like yours, who specializes in pressuring the quarterback. Yeah, so it's a good good front seven here. And with a new defensive coordinator, the last time they, they faced Buffalo, I believe, was the first game of the 2016 season. And that game with Tyrod at quarterback, Dean Pease called a very passive game and allowed Tyrod to make a lot of mistakes on his own. And the Ravens just kind of ground out a fairly close win in that one. In in this game, I'm expecting a high-pressure effort where Martindale is much more of a, of a, a Rex Ryan school defensive coordinator who will dial it up. You'll see a lot of stunts. You'll see a lot of blitzing. You'll see a lot of everything given the, the desire to put pressure on the quarterback. And he's a pressure first and let's see if that works guy not a let's try and dial the pressure to the exact optimal level to let the quarterback make mistakes well and that is terrifying to hear because the thing that so for those of you out there who may have seen this the box score again about the bills playing cincinnati the thing you don't understand is that in that cincinnati game we were down 20 to nothing going into halftime our rookie quarterback behind our starting, quote-unquote, starting offensive line, Josh Allen, went out there, and the stadium was packed to see Josh Allen's first body of work behind a starting offensive line. He proceeded to get sacked five times because the offensive line was giving him less than two seconds before there was pass rushers in the backfield. At one point, our center, Ryan Groy, Andrew Billings is a defensive tackle for the Cincinnati Bengals that I'm sure you guys are aware of. He essentially walked past our center who put his arms out like an old man trying not to fall on ice (laughs) and just didn't block anyone. So out of a shotgun formation, our rookie quarterback got sacked in under two seconds. That's the type of offensive line effort we're seeing in the preseason, which has left everybody here. When you're talking about how we start with you guys week one, the Chargers week two, Whoever gets started at quarterback, you're, you almost feel bad for them. <laughs> yeah. Well, to be fair, across the entire NFL, you'll see some ridiculous things happen in the preseason in terms of the offensive line play and even the starting offensive line when they've, you know, they've been away for it a little bit and, and they're doing a lot of brother-in-law pass blocking during training camp, you know, where they're they're blocking their, their own players and nobody's trying to get hurt and all that. And then they get into a game against people who are really trying. It can be trying itself so I, I i wouldn't i wouldn't be too fearful about it just yet but we'll see how it works out in that opener and, and the first few weeks okay well let's move on here we want to talk we really want to just talk about the quarterback there i asked you about the preseason tell us about how physical the bills camp has been and what's been their policy with joint practices with other teams how they conducted their camp so camp is tough to gauge for the buffalo bills because they play with they don't they don't do joint practices first and foremost our head coach for he's come out and said that he does not believe in it he believes that camp is a time for players to come together and that's when you know he talks about that you know what is it stone sharpened steel whatever whatever the cliche is he believes in the idea of you take a team and you box them away from the world and you try to toughen them up behind in a closet essentially and then week one, you open the door and you let him go, let him go play somebody else for the first time. He seems to believe in that. He actually turned down invitations for joint practices. Now, as far as the intensity, there is an intensity to those 
to those practices and to those you know, just scrimmages and the things that they do. And one of the things that I think is noteworthy is that for his, is he almost encourages a little bit of toughness from both sides of the ball. He'll talk to the offense and say, hey, listen, you got to go out there and I, I want to see pancakes. I want to see you finish. And he'll say the same thing to the defense. That being said, with that kind of mentality, we've actually seen the fewest preseason injuries under Sean McDermott as a head coach than we had before any other regime that's, in the last five or six years. That's obviously something that's been a big problem for the Ravens the last few years is injuries in camp. And they've run the most cream puffy camp they've ever had this year. They, they don't do any tackling during camp. They obviously, I don't think most teams don't allow cut blocking of their own players in camp. You do that in the preseason games, but 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 in terms of uh, of tackling, they haven't had any contact practices of that sort. They'll they'll have contact at the line of scrimmage. Uh, you can't make any judgments about the running game. You know when you're watching camp under these conditions, it's just it's it's pretty strange. The only thing is really trying to get that that timing of the passing game down, uh, and, and trying to you know get your defensive backs in a position where they're learning how to do coverage. But another thing that Ravens actually lost a practice during OTAs because they were they were pre- they were doing press coverages, so they were doing too much uh, handsy cornerness, and they'd already been warned once about it, and then they now they lost a practice because of it. So it was a bummer. But uh, but a very very unphysical offseason for the Ravens. But they do have two sets of practices they did with other teams, one with the Rams and one of the Colts. And I think those were a big success. I thought the Ravens did very well uh, at, at having those and, and toughening themselves up for, uh, for other things they did. Anyway, I don't want to monopolize the time. This is really about the Bills for us Ravens fans to get to learn your team. So uh, who were the standouts from the preseason for the Bills that really you know, jumped off the screen at you? Well, one of the biggest stories of the preseason was a running back that I really liked last year. He came out of nowhere. I had never heard of him before. His name was Marcus Murphy. Marcus Murphy, formerly of the New Orleans Saints, you know, he kind of hung around in the practice squad, and he was just a camp body for them. He came on late into the Bills roster, and in that Week 17 game that we won down in Miami that kind of locked up our trip to the playoffs, he caught a pass and then shook guys, broke tackles, and ran for 45 yards. I mean, that was a huge play in the game. So, I mean, that that sticks in your head as a fan. So coming into this preseason, I was like, well, you know, Murphy, I know they've got veteran options like running back Travaris Cadet and running back Taiwan Jones ahead of him on the depth chart, but this Murphy kid really flashed last year. Sure enough, in every single preseason game, Marcus Murphy, not just as a running back three, but as a punt returner and kick returner, flashed. He made plays in every single game. He had the highest yards per carry on the entire team out of everybody who touched the ball. And I think the most impressive thing is that schematically, for a Bills fan, one of the most terrifying things is knowing you have a running back one in LaShawn McCoy who has a, has a running style and a skill set that's hard to replicate. I mean, he's elusive to a point uh, that he's an elite running back. The thing that Murphy showed based on his yards after contact and his just wiggle to his running game and his elusiveness in the open field is that if something were to happen to LaShawn McCoy, you're, you're talking about a running back who's over the age of 30. Mm-hmm. If something happens to him, you don't have to drastically change your playbook because okay, you have a guy like Marcus Murphy. That's a very it, it firm statement for guys. Marcus Murphy has 16 career snaps coming into this year. Exactly. <laughs> okay. 
Yes, right. nobody's nobody loves Marcus Murphy. Nobody knows his name. But I promise you, if something happens to LaShawn McCoy, a lot of people are going to find out who this kid is. All right, well, very good, very good. Obviously, yeah, you know, that a big play among his among his snaps for the Bills last year. Um, anybody else, uh, offense or defense, who really stood out during the preseason? Well, you got guys who are good and bad. They stand out for both positive and negative reasons. One of the players that really stood out for Buffalo Bills fans in a negative light, Vontae Davis, cornerback. Big addition, guy that we brought in. Now, last year, we started cornerback EJ Gaines on the outside. When EJ Gaines was injured, because that's been the story of his entire career, he's a cornerback who can't stay healthy. When he was injured, we gave up an extra 100 yards of offense per game that he was out. The moment he came back into the fold, we started winning football games again. We started locking down on defense again. So obviously having a having two solid outside corners is paramount to Sean McDermott's scheme. Bills fans everywhere got excited when they saw the signing of Devontae Davis because they assumed, okay, we're getting a, a guy who was a Pro Bowl caliber talent on the outside of the defense. You're going to pair him up against Trey White on the other side who himself should have probably made the Pro Bowl. Marshawn Lattimore had a few turnovers that tipped the scale in his favor. So coming into this, we all expected to see two lockdown corners, and what we got was one lockdown corner and one guy who looks his age at 32 or 33 years old Mm -hmm. trying to play outside corner, which now has raised a lot of alarm here for Bills fans. And, I mean, it's, it's a point of concern. That you don't know now. The guy that we signed to play nickel corner, we signed uh, Philip Gaines out of formerly of Kansas City to be our starting nickel corner. We drafted a rookie, Teron Johnson, behind him to kind of compete. Now Teron Johnson is getting the starting job, and Philip Gaines is competing to take away Vontae Davis's job <laughs> on the outside. That's a problem. That, that, is that isn't a good. Okay, so Philip Gaines is a—is he a shorter guy, or is, is suited for the outside, or what do you have? No, there? he is a—he is a featherweight. If you want to talk about guys who play the cornerback position, he's not big, he's not overly physical. The thing coming out of college that made him a third-round pick was that he had man coverage skills, that he hand fought well with wide receivers at the line. He could jam. Well, he's I would call this guy an I would call this guy an aircraft carrier at his size. He's six foot six feet one ninety three, with four thirty four speed according to this. I'm, according to that, he's he. Yeah. They say that I've mm-hmm. watched him play. He doesn't play like a guy who's six foot. He plays okay. like a guy who's much smaller, okay. and that's the problem. Is you can't have a guy that like that on the outside, because there's going to be teams you come up against that have big, physical outside wide receivers. He's Philip Gaines can't hold his own in that. I mean, there's a reason that Kansas City, after drafting him in the third round, let him walk. Gladly let him walk. When we took him on, I was assuming it was as a backup and maybe as a stopgap measure until we found a, a slot corner. To know that he's now competing on the outside because Vontae Davis has struggled so much during the preseason, that's a problem. Okay. All right. Very good. All right. So. Uh, I guess that that'll do it for your preseason players. Let's just go. Let's move back to the offense for a second. And talk a little bit more broadly. We talked about the quarterback position a little bit already. Um, you know, the, the Ravens obviously going through their quarterback shifts as well, which we can get to on your show when we do that. But but tell us a little bit about the Bills' run game. 
uh, in general? I'm really talking schematically, stylistically. What's What are they doing? Are they a power team? Are they a zone team? Do they pull a lot? Tell me a little bit about it. Well, so from what I've seen, now this is interesting because we just changed offensive coordinators for the, you know, Sean McDermott took over. We were the leading rushing team under Rex Ryan. We were number one, and then I think we were number two or three by the end of that his second season. Sean McDermott comes in, and he has us – he brings in an offensive coordinator who brings in a zone blocking scheme. And I said, we don't have a line that's suited for this. And we trotted it out there. We finished sixth in rushing, but we definitely regressed as far as production goes. We had a lot of big games that made up for the lean games in terms of overall statistics. Under new offensive coordinator Brian Dable, formerly of Alabama, I don't know if you can see it in the video, but I am wearing an Alabama shirt. I am a I'm a roll tide homer. <laughs> I will say that he runs a lot of power run, which is kind of a staple of Alabama football, mm-hmm. the power running game. What I've seen so far of Brian Dable in the preseason is that he loves tight ends. He loves tight end motion. He loves pulling tight ends because he believes in the fact that if you can get a running back on the edge of a defense, you can find six, seven yards a clip versus trying to run the gaps by the guards or off tackle. So when you look at the Bills roster now after we made all of our cuts, it's interesting to note that we cut a ton of receivers people thought were going to make the team, and we kept four tight ends. Not a lot of teams do that. Dable did because that's a, that, that is a staple of how he calls games. He loves power running, but he loves to do it with multiple tight end sets because then you've got guys who are a little more athletic, a little bit quicker out in space than your average offensive tackle, so they can seal an edge a lot quicker and get your guy some extra yardage. Okay, so single single back, not not a fullback as often, but two tight ends, two two wide receivers on most plays? Yes, yes. Okay. All right, so the Ravens are one of the few teams in the NFL who still uses a fullback regularly. I did notice the Bills had a fullback, or a guy who's listed at fullback on their roster that, that made. Not that, doesn't play that much? Well, so the, the, the thing with DeMarco was, I think they signed Patrick DeMarco because he was a Pro Bowl talented fullback, and they thought that, hey, we can int- we can add him in as a pass blocker on passing downs and a possible safety valve for a quarterback. The thing with LaShawn McCoy as a running back is that if you look at – I know as a Bills fan, I've watched them sign multiple fullbacks. LaShawn McCoy doesn't utilize him. His running style just is not – you need a north-south runner to utilize a fullback to its fullest extent. If you're an east and west guy – and you kind of just create based on what you see on the field, that fullback almost becomes irrelevant in the running game. So they do a lot of single back. But when it comes to DeMarco being on our team, he's mostly utilized in passing situations where, hey, we need a guy who can act as a safety valve, and if they send a blitz, who can also pick up a a rusher? Will will it be in a two-back formation then or as the single back next to the shotgun? I almost feel like it would be I feel like it would be two backs next to the shotgun most of the time or sometimes they line up with him offset out of a pistol okay. or, or at least that's what they did last year now under the new offensive coordinator we didn't see a lot of DeMarco in the preseason which is why it's interesting that he made the cut I want to see what it is that you wouldn't keep a guy like that if you didn't have a plan for him we just as Bills fans haven't gotten to see what that plan is yet yeah, so it's going to be interesting 
that's really true around the NFL. There's not that many fullbacks anymore because they often don't play special teams. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But the standing start for kickoffs means that they're less valuable, I think, now than they used to be. I think you really want more tight ends, wide receivers, and corners and safeties on those on kick coverage units than, than you want inside linebackers and fullbacks, obviously. And and they, you know, you use a fullback 15 plays a game as it is. So there's just not a lot of ability to keep a 53rd guy that does only that for your team. So anyway, I understand why they why they've cut it down. The Ravens are one of the few teams and they do it because their fullback also plays defensive line for them. So they have some some advantages there. All right. Well, how about we talked a little bit then about the Bills running game, how about the passing offense in, in terms of the primary targets, kind of formations they normally run at? I, I have other questions for you, but let's start with that. Okay. Well, as far as passing targets, we're a, it's kind of a weird situation with the Bills. I mean, under Tyrod Taylor, the games we won, we won games where he threw less than 25 passes. I feel like that's going to continue to be the trend. If we're a team that has to throw the ball 30 times, there's not a lot of talent in our wide receiving core. There just isn't. We, I mean, we're, we kept Robert Foster, an undrafted free agent out of Alabama. He made the roster this year just based on potential upside alone, which kind of underscores how little they plan on throwing the football, which I almost think it's, a, it's more of a – necessity than it is hey this is the game plan i'd like to run as an offensive coordinator they looked around and saw that we didn't have a ton of talent to wide receivers so they said okay we're gonna we're gonna keep four tight ends they love to utilize the tight ends in the passing game every one of these quarterbacks if you look at the where they've completed the passes in the intermediate and even in some cases the deep part of the passing game it's been to tight ends it hasn't been wide receivers which is why they're keeping more of them. And then when you take a look at what they're capable of in terms of passing, I just look at it from a target standpoint. We don't need to be a team that's five deep at wide receiver when you have a number one wide receiver in Kelvin Benjamin who should be seeing six to seven targets a game. Okay, You have a tight end in Charles Clay who's a good move tight end. He's good in the intermediate. He's an athletic guy. He's going to get at least four to five. You've got a running back in LaShawn McCoy who should be getting at least two to three targets. You're already halfway to your 20, <laughs> your 20 uh, pass mark mm-hmm. between Zay Jones, former rookie, uh, former second round draft pick and veteran Curly. Uh, what is it? Jeremy wide receiver, Jeremy Curly out mm-hmm. of the slot. Those guys are all going to command two to three targets a game. By the time you add it all up, there's really not that many throws to go around because this should be, if you're playing the kind of football we're going to need to play to win, you're a team that only throws 20 balls a game to 25. Okay, so shorten so, football games with the, with the run. I will say yes. from, the, from the Ravens' standpoint, they, they, teams with good tight ends are, are a real bad matchup for the Ravens because their weakness defensively is in covering short middle zones, particularly with their inside linebackers. Uh, Peanut Owasu is one of the real weak coverage guys, and so that, that's definitely a good matchup for, for the Bills in terms of having good tight ends and uh, has been a problem now for the Ravens for a couple of years. Well, that makes me feel better. <laughs> Jeez. I mean, I as an Alabama fan, C.J. Mosley, you guys drafting him, it broke my heart. But at the same time, I love that guy. He's incredible. He can do it all. He plays the run. He plays the pass. So so what you're saying is that the Ravens 
do struggle in that intermediate area. Is it just size? Is it speed? Or is it both? Okay, well, I'll start because I'll make a distinction between Mosley and the others. Um, Mosley has good pass skills. He understands what's going on behind him, which is one of the real important things for the Mike linebacker to learn as he grows older. It's what we saw out of Ray Lewis in terms of his development. He just was marvelous at that. Even when he lost all of his speed and his ability to cover, he could still impact the passing game. Mosley has the speed. He has you know ball skills to, to go after the ball, but he's really a very picked-on guy because the Ravens have such a good secondary that, that they have to throw somewhere, and you really go after the middle of the field more than anything. So that's where I think he's been, he's been beaten. Owasu is the weakest link as it stands right now. He's got not great pass instincts to go to a ball. Um, you know, the Ravens are really known for being able to diagnose a screen pass or being able to you know, be right on top of a guy who catches the ball and gets zero yak. Um, he's not that guy. I, and, and even Kemalai Correa, who played some inside linebacker for the Ravens last year, was traded to Tennessee in the last week. Uh, he really had better instincts as far as going to the football. So I think that, that Kenny Young is the big draft pick for the Ravens. If he plays, he should be very good. He got he has a knee injury, and he may sit out this first game against the Bills. That would be a good thing for you guys if he did, because I think he, he'll, <laughs> well, he'll be good. You, yeah. No, but, I mean, it just sounds like, from the Bills, from a, if you're asking about us from a passing standpoint, we are a work in progress. And I think that when you look at who might start for us at quarterback, it depends on who's under center. Because, again, Brian Dable, for anyone who watched the national title game last year, what what might go unseen by the general public is that Brian Dable went into every game since October with two different game plans. The starter in Alabama at quarterback was Jalen Hurts. He took his team to a national title game, so Nick Saban didn't want to bench him. He had a kid named Tua Tagaviola, who he knew had an accurate throw and a live arm. He came up with two separate game plans every single week from October 1st until the national title game, but he never got to use any of them because Nick Saban would not allow him to play the one kid. National title game comes, halftime rolls around, they roll the kid out and say, hey, you know what, all right, let's see what the passer can do because Jalen Hurts isn't getting it done. And he dialed up an amazing game plan that ended up in a win. Dable has different packages, whether it's Allen or Peterman. For Peterman, the diagnosis basically comes down to he can't be the guy who stands in the pocket and scans the field and finds the open receiver. He's not going to be that quarterback. If you want to be successful with a quarterback like Nathan Peterman, you have to call up a a game plan that is one or two reads tops. Mm -hmm. Quick release. The ball has to be out in under two and a half seconds. So that can be effective. We saw it in the preseason. He was our most effective quarterback. The problem with that come the actual season is that once you put enough of that on tape, a good defensive coordinator will learn that guy's tendencies and say, hey, this formation, they call one of two plays. We'll just watch those and jump those routes. You're looking for a lot more interceptions, a lot more three and outs. You're going to gas your defense, you'll lose a lot of football games. With Josh Allen, you can see that he's willing to let him uncork the long ball because he has. It's effortless to watch him throw a ball 60 yards through the air. He puts no effort into it. But he doesn't hit. But but then on a screen pass, he'll throw the ball into his running back's knees. <laughs> so you have to call a different game for each quarterback. He can't do it. It's just when you take a look at it, I feel like our passing situation is it's no win. 
regardless of how you look at it, because you've got a quarterback that defenses can key on after it, even maybe even after a half, <laughs> they might be able to sniff out what they're doing with these one and two read passing concepts. Whereas with, you know, with Nathan Peterman, whereas with uh, Josh Allen, yes, he has that gigantic arm, but he's also a rookie. So if you throw him a little confusion in the secondary, maybe a, throw him a robber concept where the safety drops into the box and just plays a shallow zone, <laughs> throw him off, hold the ball, and those result in sacks. We've seen both of these things this preseason. Okay, so just just for Ravens fans out there who are not paying as much attention, it will be Allen in game one, or, or they have not yet announced it officially? They have not announced it, and it's infuriating to Bills fans because we <laughs> want to know. We want to, if, if they say, I didn't like, I didn't like Josh Allen as a prospect. When we drafted him, I was at a, I was at a resort in Jamaica. I polished off almost an entire bottle of rum that night, just out of just uh, self-loathing. A lot of, there was just a lot of misery going on there. <laughs> now he's here. He's our guy. So I'm, I'm watching it play out. I want to be hopeful about his upside, but at the same time, I've seen his youth rear its ugly head. And his downside is that for all of the athletic traits he has, he he's really unpolished as a passer. And if okay. he is the starter against a defense like yours, I'm already chalking that up as a loss. Okay. Well, we're talking to Drew Gear here from Rockpile Report with the Bills. We're going to go on. We're talking mostly about the Bills today because this is really for Baltimore fans to learn about who the Buffalo Bills are. Um, wanted to talk a little bit more about the, the recent thing, the Corey Coleman. Obviously, everybody's watching Hard Knocks, and that has been entertaining in terms of the, what's happening to the Browns. But with Corey Coleman, what happened with him in Buffalo? Well, Corey Coleman got here. And he was traded for from Cleveland. We gave up a seventh-round pick. Usually, most seventh-round picks don't make a roster. Mm -hmm. It's rare to see them. So, for Bills fans, we weren't upset to watch that pick go. Then he came here, and everyone said, okay, well, he was a first-round draft pick, so let's see what he has. And what we saw was a guy who had a hard time picking up the playbook. Just genuinely just, hey. And they didn't give him hard assignments. You could see confusion between quarterback and wide receiver on simple comeback routes where, hey, listen, the, based on the verbiage in the book, this is where you're supposed to run a 10-yard comeback. And he had no clue. Hmm. He, didn't, he just didn't get it, quote-unquote. And so they had no problem releasing him because they said, hey, there's no value to keeping this guy around. He has all the athletic upside in the world, but if he can't understand a playbook that we already watered down, then there's no need for him to be here. Very interesting. So 39% uh, catch route I read for Coleman the last couple of years. I need to verify that because people do have different definitions of what that is, but in any case, very bad. Well, uh, hang on. I, I actually, because when we drafted, when we picked it, when we trade him, Jesus, Jesus, when we traded for him, I went through the numbers for Corey Coleman because everyone wants to say, well, he just got handed a bomb hand and his quarterbacks were bad and this – Everyone kept coming up with these platitudes to try to make him sound better. So I went through the statistics. He never finished higher than fifth in completions per target on his own team with the same quarterbacks. It's like you you talk about the five-quarterback carousel that was the Browns last year. Okay, but he still finished fifth. 
There was guys ahead of him, no-name wide receivers and tight ends, who were catching more balls than you. You're just not that good at football. That's it. That's what it comes down to. Yeah, there we go. 20, 23 receptions on 58 targets last year, 39.7 catch percentage. So uh, not uh, not what they'd like. All right. Let's uh, let's keep going here if we can and uh, talk about the defense. And uh, you know, we have something very interesting that happened in the first round of the draft that, it, that impacted both Buffalo and Baltimore teams. And I know you're probably very high on Buffalo's first round draft pick, Jermaine Edmonds. Tremaine Edmonds. Sorry, Tremaine Edmonds. Well, the Buffalo's defense is an interesting thing for me because I, no one really knows what they're going to get. We did spend a lot of draft capital in terms of what uh, Tremaine Edmonds in the first round. No one expected that. I honestly, if we're being candid, I didn't know we drafted Tremaine Edmonds because I had already thrown myself off the cliff of sobriety. Just after the Josh Allen pick, I was done. I woke up in the morning and everyone said, dude, what do you think about this linebacker? I said, what linebacker? Watching him in the preseason, he is every bit of what his scouting report says he is. You see the high athletic upside in terms of his coverage. He's covering slot receivers. He's out there in space just eating it up in the passing game. And when he comes downhill on the running game, he comes down quickly and he takes away he takes away runners in the backfield. That being said, he's also a guy who's so used to relying on his physical talents, he takes the wrong gap a lot. Oh. Or he cheats. Or what he does is he cheats thinking that, hey, my athletic ability will let me recover from this the same way it did in college. And he finds out that playing at the NFL level is very different. And then he gets beat on a pass to the flat, but to a running back. And it it happened against Carolina. Perfect example. Running back Christian McCaffrey. He runs a simple out and in. Edmonds thinks, okay, it's an out route, and I'm going to get there first. I'm going to beat him to the spot he's running to. He runs there, and he gets there before the running back does. But because McCaffrey's an elusive athlete, he simply dips inside two yards sooner than him, gets right behind him for a pass, completes it, and takes it for 11 yards. He's he's taken his lumps in the preseason, but I'm excited about him. As far as the rest of the front seven goes, Harrison Phillips was a pick that was really popular amongst Bills fans. Because he is essentially the player that Kyle Williams was here for us for years and years and years. Now Kyle Williams is injured. And somebody's going to have to pick up that load of, hey, you you have to be a run stopper but also a penetrator and be able to do both kind of on the fly. With the addition of Star Latule, you'd think that our interior defense would be better. But at the same time, I've also seen teams crack off big runs against us, especially when they trap, especially in this trap running style. If anybody out there, I don't know what your running style is. I haven't paid a lot of attention to the Ravens this offseason. When guys get trapped and then they spring a running back behind the linebacker, huge gains are there. Because Mm -hmm. you're talking about Matt Milano, a second-year linebacker, and Tremaine Edmonds, a rookie linebacker. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to trust their eyes too much and not just go off feel. So our front seven has the potential to be solid, and at the same time, there is hay to make there if you're an opposing rushing offense. Okay, so let me let me 
respond to two of those things. The first is in terms of what the Ravens rushing stars. They're, they're very much a right-handed team that pulls from left to right with a power style primarily. They have some zone blocking runs they do with that, but mostly they're asking James Hurst, the left guard, to, to power to, to, to power across to the other side and make a pull block. And at center, that's one of the big fears that I have now is that, that replacing Ryan Jensen, they no longer have the anchor at center, particularly against the behemoths that Buffalo has. Uh, to, to anchor and make sure those pull lanes are clear, which is, is, a, is a big problem if it doesn't work out, obviously. Uh, so they, they, they're starting Matt Skura, who's a little bit of an undersized guy at center, uh, does not seem to have the anchor that, that these other guys have, and, uh, or certainly that Jensen has. And they've got, they have plans or, or possibilities for other guys that can play at center, but I think that will be an advantage for Buffalo in this game. The other thing I just wanted to respond to also was was the first round draft pick situation because before we get too far from Tremaine Edmonds here, the Ravens had the 16th overall pick, of course, and Buffalo acquired it and and took uh, Tremaine Edmonds. Both Tremaine Edmonds and Derwin James were on the board. I was a huge Derwin James fan. I thought he was the guy they should have gotten, and uh, and the Ravens later announced that he was the guy they would have taken had they stayed at the position. But they they traded down twice. Got approximately equivalent value in Jimmy Johnson points. If you want, to, if you think those are meaningful, <laughs> and now, there are there are people who think the, that draft valuation should be flatter, and so you 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 really get if you're acquiring lower picks, you're actually getting more back. There's not anybody that I know of that thinks that it's not peaked enough, but uh, but there are people who think it, the valuation should be flatter. So the Ravens got basically an even deal, but my problem was because they had two guys on the board, there should have been multiple bidders for that pick. You know, they traded the pick to someone who wanted Edmonds, but there were other people who wanted James, namely the Chargers, who were, who were next, who, who should have also been in that bidding. And the Ravens should have been able to get more in terms of a return for, for what they got for that 16th pick. James, to me, one of the top five or six players in the entire draft. Edmonds, I would have put in the top 12. And, you know, he certainly was a, was a, a, you know, a, a very worthwhile pick still on the board. Just shocking to me that the Ravens uh, didn't get it done there. And I think part of it was they kind of had committed to taking an offensive player this year after being successful with first-round defensive draft picks for most of the franchise's history. Anyway, my soapbox, I'm off it. (laughs) (laughs) That had to be tough. That had to be tough. I mean, I'm not a fan of trades. And when I saw the Bills traded up, I was like, well, it's got to be for a quarterback. I saw Josh. Josh Rosen was my guy. So when I saw the first, I'm watching, I'm at this resort. We're at a dinner. We're all dressed up and I'm watching it on one of the TVs over beyond the bar. I see the J O S H and I almost started fist pumping. And then I saw the (laughs) Allen and I literally threw my napkin in the air and just walked out of the room. Now here's my wife. We're at this fancy engagement dinner on a resort. And I just walk out and I go to the bar. I (laughs) glasses of rum on the rocks. The guy's like, what's wrong with you? Nothing. Just keep it coming. So you, you must have missed the first part of the draft, though, because Rosen was long gone at that point, I guess. But anyway, that's fine. Ro- no, no. Rosen went uh, a couple picks later to the Cardinals. Oh, really? I thought he went seventh or something. Okay. Oh. I apologize. I'm thinking of Allen. No, I'm, no, I'm not thinking of Allen. I'm not thinking of Allen. You're right. Okay. I'm thinking 16, but but you're right. Okay. <laughs> we'll leave it there. I understand that then. I understand why you're upset. Um, so you mentioned that, that Kyle Williams is going to be out. How do the, the Bills' defensive line compare to some of those juggernauts of the past where they, they always seem to have too many big guys inside to handle? Well, this is going to be a weird kind of transition for the Bills' defensive line because this year we 
I mean, they, they signed Kyle Williams, who I thought was going to retire. After finally making the playoffs, I figured, hey, he's going to go out on a high note. Why not? You know, Peyton Manning got to do it. Why shouldn't Kyle Williams? Hey, it's a much it's a much higher, I mean, a much lower mountain, but at least he got to the top of it. So when he came back, I said, okay, now we're at, they, they have this kid in Harrison Phillips. They have a veteran in Kyle Williams that they can throw out there. We're going to have a lot of depth. He goes out with injury, and you start to worry because you look at the guys behind him, and nobody's really accomplished anything. Harrison Phillips, there's a reason he's probably he's probably a starter come week one. Freshly drafted in the third round, he's probably starting because Adolphus Washington, our previous third-round pick, and the other guys lined up there just simply aren't up to snuff. And the thing that scares me the most is our defensive end position. Now, you're talking about a team that has Jerry Hughes on the left defensive end side. He's going to be coming off. But on the right defensive end side, where you put some of the premier pass rushers in football, your, uh, who is it, out of Green Bay? What's Matthews? You know, your, uh, back Mario Williams when he was in his prime. Where We signed a guy in free agency named Trent Murphy, who was coming off an ACL tear, but had a very productive previous season with Washington to be our pass rusher. He came back to camp, and you could tell his groin wasn't, I mean, his knee wasn't healthy because he immediately pulled his groin and started pulling ancillary muscles around there. That that only happens when you either don't trust your knee and you're actively trying to use other muscles to fire off quickly in those pass rush situations. He's not ready. He has yet to play in a preseason game. He's only participated in two or three preseason practices. So now we have Jerry Hughes on one end, who is a, He's a he's a proven pass rusher. And this kid Shaq Lawson that we drafted to be a pass rusher and who never developed into one. He's a he sets the edge against the run very well. He's a big bodied guy. But in ter- in terms of quick twitch, gonna bend, gonna he has no pass rush moves and he has no bend. So the only thing he has is a bull rush, which most defense offensive tackles in the NFL can they can defeat those pretty easily. This isn't college anymore. There's a reason that he stopped producing the moment he got here. He is probably going to be our starting defensive end. So as far as our line as a whole goes, we used to have what we called the cold front in mm-hmm. uh, in Buffalo. Now we're rolling into this season with a defensive line that might be the weakest in terms of pass rush that we've had in the last five or six years. Wow. Okay. Good to hear, and and that's something we can feel good about, huh, isn't it? We each get some things. All right, starting talent in the secondary. We talked a little bit about Vontae Vontae Davis. What about the the twin safeties and their great year last year, and what you expect from them? I, in, based on what I've seen so far in camp and just in the preseason, those guys are competitors. They're war, they're, they're warriors. They they're very durable guys. I mean, neither one of them really. I mean, you have Jordan Poyer with that injury, which was a kidney laceration on a blindside hit. Mm-hmm. Other than that, the two of them are extremely durable. They're physical, and they both play with a chip on their shoulder, which is nice. You like to see that. I'm okay with them as starters, but I think the thing that really gives me the most, I, I, I see the most confidence heading into the season, in terms of our secondary. Sean McDermott really made his bread and butter in Carolina with a, with the cover three scheme. I'm sure you're familiar with it, where you sure. play a safety in the. You have an interior safety who kind of roams the box. Okay, so down. 
This is a, a dime you're talking about? Oh, no, no. So in terms of almost a big nickel, like okay. if you were to take a safety instead of a slot cornerback. Okay, there you go. And then – and. But then occasionally you take that safety and you move him in between the linebackers and you have him playing a robber type role. McDermott made his bones off big nickel formations and off of running the robber formation out of a nickel using a safety. So coming to Buffalo last year, he tried to rotate through safeties, but we just didn't have anybody. I mean, at one point we were starting against the Raiders last year. We started an undrafted free agent safety in Trey Elston and left him out on an island in single high because that's how they chose to – that's how he likes to run his defense. Now that he has Raphael Bush, formerly of the Saints, you know, he's an NFL veteran. He's been a starter. Now that they have actual tenure depth, they've put Bush everywhere on the field. They've played him at, at slot. They've played him behind the linebackers. They've played him as a linebacker in some situations. I think that McDermott being a guy who used to be a secondary coach, that's his specialty. And I think he thinks he can coach up anybody who plays as a defensive back. I mean, Roman Harper had a career year under him and then went back to the Saints. He finds guys who are struggling, and he seems to elevate their play just by his own natural coaching ability of the secondary. The fact now that we have three safeties that can all be trusted to be on the field at the same time and cover any kind of role, that safety becomes a, I mean, that position, safety position, becomes a Swiss Army knife for this defense because we can do anything. We can cover the deep quarters of the field. We can play a traditional Tampa 2 style where you put two back, let guys run on the outside and just try to box them out and let your linebackers fill the middle. Or you can get creative with a third safety. I mean, I really do love the strength of our safety position this year. Well, let me let me ask you this question: What is their base passing down alignment? Is it is it a nickel now with Edmonds and one other linebacker on the field, or is it is it a dime with three safeties, three corners? What are they What do they use as their base defensive lineup for pass? I've seen a lot of the big nickel this offseason. Passing defense, they like three safeties. Because I think that in terms of if you were an offense that went three wide on them, teams go three wide all the time and still run the football. So you have to have somebody who's capable of holding their own in the running game, where a lot of cornerbacks who are smaller and cover the slot struggle. Mm-hmm. I think McDermott likes it, and throughout training camp and to this point in the preseason, we've seen a lot of it. Okay. Well, very good. The, the Ravens are very much a dime team, so uh, they bring on the third safety and have been successful at stopping third down conversions because they, they play extremely good dime. And, in fact, they went through a five-year period with DNPs where they played only 3% dime. I use that stat fairly often. The 2000 Ravens are one of the real trendsetters in terms of moving to dime and quarter alignments on a, on a regular basis. They had 34.5% of their snaps played in the dime and quarter that year, including 62 through the through the uh, postseason that were quarter snaps with seven defensive backs. So anyway, well, one of the things that well, I was going to say, one of the things that got the Bills last year, when he, I, I mentioned earlier how EJ Gaines, the cornerback, when he went out, we had to, you know, we gave up 100 yards of extra defense. There's another layer to that story because when that happened, we stopped playing because we had to rotate personnel. We stopped playing as much nickel. And we started playing a lot more base defense. Now, 
people who know Lorenzo Alexander, he's a great story. He's a guy who's played every position. He's played offense, defense for nine different teams. In pass coverage as a linebacker, Lorenzo Alexander has the ability to be exposed. And what happened during that three-game skid where EJ Gaines was hurt, and we also got embarrassed in every single game, was that they picked on him relentlessly with short screens, short tight end routes, things like that, where he's just not adept at coverage. I think that bolstering their safety and secondary with draft picks and with veteran depth is to avoid that happening again. Okay, very good. Well, I, I We've been through, I think, a, a, a good amount of this. I'm glad you're able to give Ravens fans this kind of an in-depth view of, of Buffalo and what they bring to the table. I hope we can do the same later in the week for Bills fans about the Ravens. We, we are not real predictors on this show, but I will say this. The implied odds currently, based on the best available lines available on oddschecker.com, show the Bills with a 27.4% chance to come into Baltimore and win this game. Is that number too high or too low? Or just about right? I'm going to say that number's too low. I okay. I don't, I don't, honestly, with your defensive line, you guys have a line that's adept at dialing up a blitz or two. And after seeing what we saw out of our offensive line and our struggles, I mean, you were talking in some cases they were sending four and still getting pressure. So if you guys wanted to send a blitz, which it seems like over the years the Ravens have been big fans of, I mean, I don't know how it's going to look under a new defensive coordinator. Now, again, I'm a guy who hasn't watched a lot of Ravens football. But coming into this matchup, I look at it and say, if the Ravens want to send pressure, they're going to get pressure. We, we there's really not a whole lot we can do to avoid that. We can try to change up our offensive game plan to avoid it, but that only gets you so far. I mean, if you can't pick up a blitz, you're not going to go very far in a game against a team that is a very good pass rushing defense. I think that that gives you guys the edge, and I fully expect a Ravens win. All right, very good. So I think what you're actually saying is that is that you think the Bills are, have less than a 27.4% chance to win the game. Oh, my God, far less. I would put okay. it somewhere around 17, 15. Okay. Oh. oh, you got some money to be made on that then well, if you want to go out and make, well, can make we, money. Is it? Can we take, I, I got a question. I want to take that prediction and, and go a little further with it because the Bills, the Bills remind me a lot of the football version of the Orioles where suddenly like things started to work out right after – many many losing seasons suddenly they got some guys and it doesn't make sense but things are clicking and they're rolling and we had a fun five years until this year when it all came crashing down are the bills a team that's improving or are you guys just getting had a lucky year last year they're improving but the problem is is that the way they went about improving chaps the uh rear end of most fans what they did was they said look we made the playoffs, and that's great. What we did was we shed a lot of big contracts. We shed a lot of future money having to be paid out. We're a team now that has cap flexibility, wholly and totally. We're going to be in the top five for cap room next year. We're going to be in a good position in terms of draft picks because we got our quarter. We got a quarterback prospect but didn't affect future drafts. So we're going to have first and second and third round picks for years to come. We're a team on the upswing, but the problem is is that last year, I almost—I don't want to say that last year was a misnomer or it was a fluke. 
last year was a, a testament to Sean McDermott and how hard he works with these no-name players to kind of get them all to buy in and just fight to a man to try to dig out a game. Having said that, now you took you took away your security blanket and a quarterback that doesn't turn the ball over. I expect a regression based on that alone. And that alone, I mean, you look at, in statistically, games that are won by less than a score, less than a single score, the Ravens a couple of years ago were a very good team in games by less than a single score, mm-hmm. and they made the playoffs. A year later, they're not in the playoffs. They won five or six of those games, and then they lost four the previous, the next season. The Bills won seven games by one score or fewer, and a lot of them had to do with turnovers. So you can't predict that into the future. I assume that without that same turnover luck, this is a team that's going to regress for at least one season. But with that said, we've got the quarterback prospect. We've got all the draft capital and all of the cap space. This is a team that's on the upswing. All right, good to hear for Buffalo fans. They've certainly suffered for a long time before last year, and uh, wish them the best after week one. So I just feel bad it came at your guys' expense. I just yes. feel bad that it came we at We feel your bad, guys too, that it came at our expense. <laughs> uh, just that, you know, Ravens had the mile-high mile miracle now six years ago, but that, that was the anti-miracle. <laughs> that was just a, a horrible event for us. And all the things that went wrong and the sk- scheme of the play we hated. So we, we've had a whole offseason to kvetch about it. But uh, I'll tell you what, let's uh, let's hit the mailbag because I think we have quite a few questions in it. Josh, you want to go? Yeah, we, some- yeah, we've got a few questions in here. Um the first one up here is is directly directed at Drew, asking if he has apologized to Josh Allen yet for doubting him. <laughs> so I'm guessing this is one of your listeners who is once again getting in a jab that you don't like Josh Allen. I have not apologized yet. Now, I, I have come around to the idea that he might be able to play the game of professional football because, to me, there was some doubt. There was some doubt that – I and this may strike a chord with you guys – I essentially had him as Kyle Bowler 2.0. <laughs> Kyle yeah. Bowler could we know what you ball. mean by that. It's not good. <laughs> so, so having said that, I've come around to the idea that this kid could eventually learn how to play football, but I have not apologized yet. That kid goes out there and gets me a win. I'll say I'm sorry. Until then, I refuse. All right. All right. Uh, Ken, this one is more to you. Um, as the Ravens were putting together their roster on, what is it, Friday night going into Saturday, we got the story about Vedvik getting assaulted in Baltimore and sent to shock trauma. And Kevin is following up with a, does Vedvik get paid being on the non-football IR? He does not have to be paid, I know, on non-football, on the non-football injury list. That's the point of putting him on an NFI list instead of just a plain IR. Uh, the Jason Pierre-Paul incident from a few years ago with the firecrackers, there was some guess that they might put him on a not fo- non-football injury list uh, after that. But uh, but anyway, the, the Vedvik situation is just horrible. And, uh, you know, it's it's one of these things. He he was in a, uh, a neighborhood in Baltimore I would not have expected him to be in and uh, got in some sort of an altercation or maybe not an altercation. He was just mugged and suffered a head injury and lost some teeth in the process, we're told. And he was a guy definitely who had a future on an NFL team and probably probably was going to be traded somewhere, perhaps Dallas, to uh, to be the successor to Dan Bailey. 
Right. To make it even more awkward, it was a guy who was not going to be on the team in 24 hours anyway. There you go. Um, let's see. Well, I'm pulling up some more. I've got how did the I've got a question for the Bills. How did the Bills? We've talked about this a lot with the Ravens, Joe Flacco, and Lamar Jackson being his backup. How does Lamar Jackson being on the sideline affect how the Bills prepare for playing the Ravens with Joe Flacco? All right, well, so honestly, all of the preseason talk has been about the fact that the Ravens are content to find ways to work them both in. I mean, we've heard a lot of that. I haven't seen any of it yet, but that's because any good offensive coordinator, if you actually were going to work in special packages for another quarterback, you would never tip your hand. Never. So given that, it's something that sits in the back of your mind. And you have to say, well, when we see him come on the field as a quarterback, is this a wildcat play? If you're a safety, you're looking at that play saying, hey, do I have to play deep? I mean, I know this kid has an arm. He's got a live arm. That's never been a question. His accuracy was a problem, but I can't. Can, can I come downhill to defend a running play? Is it a gadget play with a wide receiver? It just puts – it's a worry. It's a concern that you have to be cognizant of when you come into a game like that. You just have to. So, yeah, I'd, I'd say it's very much a concern for not only Bill's fans but also the coaching staff. Yeah, and that would, that would follow up on what Dominic Foxworth was telling us a few weeks ago about just him being in one play a game makes you spend a whole like extra hour studying the playbook and preparing. For the yeah, next absolutely. Very interesting point from Foxworth that most advanced scouts go back four weeks in terms of the film. So all you got to do is have them on the field like two, two plays a game or, 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 or two plays every couple of weeks, and it'll always show up on the film that the, that the uh, uh, opposing advanced scouts will look at and then be, be questioning how they, how they defend that. So it's, uh, it, it's something good, definitely, from having Lamar Jackson. All right, uh, next up, Jimmy gets in here with a couple questions. First question is, who do you think leads this team with receptions and who leads in yards? We're talking about Buffalo, right? Well, um, Let's answer for both teams. Yeah, you can you answer for start both with teams. The Bills. All right, so if you're talking about the Buffalo Bills, and if we're just limiting it to Sunday, receptions and yards, I think leading the team in receptions is probably going to be LaShawn McCoy, running back because he's a safety blanket for anybody. He's a playmaker in space. There are gonna, there's going to be a few designed passes to him, and then there's going to be a few panic, oh, my God, there's a defensive tackle about to swallow me whole. Where can I dump this off to? He's going to get at least five or six receptions. Is my That's where I'm going to fall on this. I think that in terms of yardage, it's a crapshoot. It depends on who's starting. Because if you have, they still haven't announced it. If Nathan Peterman's your guy, then it's probably Kelvin Benjamin because they seem to have a good rapport. And he, they, these timing routes that they seem to dial up and just, hey, I know where you're going to be. He's going to lead the team in yardage downfield. If it's Josh Allen, who knows? It could be anyone. Anybody who can run more than 40 yards, that's it. He might be your guy because he can catch one and just take it to the house. I have no idea. 
All right, that's that's good stuff. I, I there's no real running back on the Ravens who catches as many passes as LaShawn McCoy would. Buck Allen would probably be the natural choice in terms of total number of targets or total number of receptions, but I'm going to go with Willie Sneed on the Ravens as as being the guy who has the best connection with Flacco and uh, he needs an over the middle target to uh to, to take advantage of some of that. And hopefully that doesn't give Tremaine Edmonds an interception in his, in his first NFL game, but uh <laughs> but certainly a possibility. And uh, if in terms of the single longest reception, my money be on John Brown. All right, John Brown. I, I can. Yeah, this will be a fun question with an Alabama guy on the show. But the question again coming in is: Are you sold on Humphrey? He's the one guy that I'm monitoring with Jimmy out. Okay, so are are we sold on Marlon Humphrey? Yes. I mean, Marlon Humphrey was one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL as a rookie, so it's not really a. A, a question anymore if he's not the Ravens number one corner we got problems now one thing I will say in camp is Marlon did not look like he was into it as much as he should be I certainly hope he can turn around turn it around by the time the season starts but he got beat a few times by Brown specifically in some of the uh in camp 11 on 11 stuff so we'll see uh hopefully uh, you know he's he needs to be the player he was last year if he is you know the Ravens have got a pro bowler Marlon Humphreys was such a good cornerback for Alabama. I mean, he was so good. And when he went to the Ravens, I was like, well, that that makes sense. They like good cornerback who can play man while you while you pressure. He can also play zone. He can do a lot of different things. To hear he's coming out a little lackadaisical is surprising to me considering how hard Saban is on all of his players. I mean, he demands that these guys come in and just – last night, perfect example. His they're winning by more than thirty four points. His start one of his starting linebackers after the play shoves the quarterback to the ground after the play. He screamed at this kid for about five minutes on the sideline, uninterrupted, just was dogging the kid and then benched him for the rest of the night. So coming from an something from a, an environment like that. I just assume that these guys are gamers and that they're going to get up for this stuff because they understand, like, they're used to that, being put into the fire. With Humphreys, I'm hoping he does well, not against us, but just because I love Alabama cornerbacks. There you go. Well, he, he played uh, 54.7% of the snaps last year for the Ravens, as I had it scored. Um, they had The surprising thing about it was they had a much lower turnover percentage with Humphrey in the game than they did with Jimmy Smith in the game. Jimmy Smith, about almost twice as many turnovers per snap he played than Humphrey. So that is a little odd. Wow. And uh, and I don't think it's Humphrey personally who's 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 bad in that category, although Smith had a good year for interceptions last year. Uh, I think it's, it's uh, surprising, and it may be due to the fact that he wasn't starting at the beginning of the year when the Ravens had some of their big games in that, in that respect. All right. Uh, Ken, let's get to the news of the past 24 hours. The Ravens cut down to 53. Some surprising cuts like Waller, White, Saragusa. Who was the biggest surprise to you? Um, Saragusa was the guy I really wanted to stay. Um, and they did re-sign him to the practice squad. He's obviously a candidate to be a Ravens center down the line. It may be even as early as sometime later this year. Uh, I guess they felt like he was a slightly better chance to stick on the practice squad than Illuminor was. 
And Illuminor had played a little bit of tackle, not well, but he had played a little bit of tackle at the end of this preseason. And given the Ravens' injury situation at, at tackle and the, the you know the fear of losing Ronnie Stanley, that they uh, they felt like they wanted to keep Illuminor and make sure he was there for the beginning of the year. I didn't like the move. I think it's it's the Ravens' biggest single need right now is to go out and find a actual pass blocking tackle for the left side. All right. Well, this is probably the same answer, but Edgar asks, who would be your fifty fourth player? Let's see, the 54th player. I told you I had Board and Williams were 53 and 54 for me. So uh, the Ravens went with three inside linebackers as, as it turned out, I believe. And I may have that wrong, but Board was left off and they, and they kept Darius Williams on the roster as a slot cornerback. I, I, I like that move. Darius Williams has a lot of coverage skills. We talked about him a lot during the preseason as a guy who gets bumped off the route, does not play big despite the fact that he's a little bit of a thick player. Uh, he, he really does not play play well uh, with other bumps from receivers. So hopefully he's a guy who, who learns that better, and the Ravens are a little bit weak as far as a slot corner to play behind Tavon Young. So I, I liked that uh, that uh, keep there. But those are 53 and 54 for me. And, and the board pick is really it's a, a need pick rather than he's really the 54th best player. You know, I, I'd certainly keep Kafusi, for example, ahead of board, or I'd keep um, – Carl Davis ahead of board for the possibility of trading him at a later point, but board was number 54 for me for need. All right, and let's close out the mailbag with this. The Ravens just signed cornerback Cyrus Jones. What does he bring to the team? Yeah, well, he's a, he's a Baltimore boy, and, and so he's coming home. He, he went to Gilman. Uh, he, supposedly, he brings some punt return skills. He has not shown him at the NFL level so far, so we'll see if he can do some of that. He definitely will come in and immediately compete so uh, uh, the the punt return drill, although we media is no longer able to see it this time of year, uh, will definitely include Cyrus Jones for the uh, for the rest of the time with him on the practice squad. All right, um, all right. Well, that'll be it for the mailbag. Again, you can get in your questions every week using the hashtag Film Study Mailbag, and uh, get them over to Ken. Sometimes Ken will answer them ahead of time. A lot of very often we save them and get to them on the podcast each week. So, uh, Drew, tell us about the Rockpile Report and uh, what else people can see that you're up to. Well, we are a Buffalo Bills-based podcast. We do our show every Wednesday night. Uh, it, it's out by midnight. <laughs> you can find us on Twitter at Rockpile Report. We, uh, we also are starting a video series. Uh, there's going to be some... Uh, it may sound ridiculous, but we've run it by some people who actually work for the Bills, and they think it's hysterical. After every single Bills game, we are going to hold our own press conference, whether it's at my house for away games or in the parking lot while we're after you know where we tailgate after the game. Post-game press conferences. We actually have a podium. <laughs> we have microphones. We have lights. We have a backdrop. It's going to be intense. It's going to be pretty good. I'm liking that idea a lot. I'm thinking that there might be ways to steal that idea because that, that, is, that is a smart move. I like that. Post-game press conference because you know what – and you know what the thing is? We come from a franchise of – a franchise with coaches who for once don't say anything. I mean Sean McDermott is the antithesis of Rex Ryan in terms of – he doesn't say a word right. unless you – you have to pry it out of him. So if that's the case – we're going to get busy. We're going to get in here. We're going to, you know, <laughs> we're going to take, we're going to fill that need for Bills fans. So just check out the post game press conference from the Rockpile report. 
All right, and Ken, what do you have going on this week? Uh, a, a couple things. Uh, first of all, at Film Study Ravens, if you want to follow me on Twitter, uh, we'll be writing up something, I'm sure, about the game uh, preparatorily. We, we usually do something every game uh, called uh, knee-jerk reactions, or it's, a, it's called something different for predictions on Russell Street Reports. So you can see the stuff there. After the games, look on Monday for the defensive article, Wednesday for the offensive line article, podcast usually done on Monday or Tuesday for the defense, and then on Wednesday for the offensive line with Josh and me. I do want to extend um, uh, you know, best wishes right now, not only to uh, to Mr. Vedvik, but also to Marcus Weish, who's one of our really good followers and, and asks a lot of good questions for this show frequently. He's in the hospital uh, with uh, a problem with his esophagus, and I, we hope him, wish him the best and hope him a speedy, speedy recovery. Marcus, feel better soon, buddy. All right, and uh, I can at the same time throw out a job offer to Brashard Perriman if he would like to start his own podcast. We don't want him on a football field. Okay. <laughs> so, but uh, all right, Drew, Ken, thank you for joining us. Uh, my stuff, uh, my plug is Birdland Sports. Check it out. Everything I do is up on there, including Section 336, which since the Orioles season's down the really – they just got swept by the second worst team in baseball, which officially makes them the worst team in baseball. So uh, we're doing this week a listener questions only podcast. And from what I've seen of the questions, very few of them are about the Orioles. So it'll be a fun show this week. <laughs> so. A five and a half game lead now after today in the Bobby Witt sweepstakes. Yes, yes, we're winning that. We're winning that. Yes. And so, they've also officially, they dropped below the 294 winning percentage today. Yep. With, that is the... Uh, the uh, replacement level used for the calculation of war. Yeah, it's now a it's now a race between Chris Davis's batting average and the Orioles' winning percentage. <laughs> so. All right, all right. Well, the Bills and uh, come to Baltimore this Sunday at one p.m. and uh, we'll see what happens. Have a good weekend, guys. We're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. Some cars are comfy on the inside, but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower, but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. 
To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.